0: It was a real joy uh, for me personally to be here with you all uh, this morning. So I bring you greetings from Sterling Park Baptist Church. Uh, we love you all and we pray for you often. Uh, and I do want to say like a personal note, thank you. We're so grateful for your partnership uh, in the spread of the gospel, particularly uh, in South Africa with the Mafusis. So you guys have been uh, faithful partners and friends, and uh, there have been many times Uh, that I've been just so grateful for the way that you all have cared for and provided uh, for them, and that's been a great joy uh, for us to feel that partnership uh, in the gospel. Um, So my heart is rooted at that church in Sterling, but I do enjoy preaching at other churches from time to time. Uh, It's great to see what God's doing in other places. It's great to have fellowship with other church families. I love when I get invited out to Winchester because I do have some old friends uh, from back in the day, maybe some of your elders I remember as college students, right? I'm at that, that stage where I'm not yet a grandpa, but I'm starting to feel like a grandpa um, and start to look uh, out over uh, young people and just rejoice in what God's doing. And so it's great to see what God's doing uh, other places. I also really enjoy having guest preachers in to our church from time to time. I think most pastors, most preachers, most church staffs have certain strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Everyone has things they see clearly, uh, some things that they think are particularly worthy of emphasis. Uh, But inevitably, some things perhaps don't get emphasized as much as they should be. And so it can be helpful to bring someone else in to preach God's word from time to time out of their context. I love having brothers from India and the UK and uh, today, uh, Sipo, who I think preached here last week, is preaching at our church. And and it's great because other people, other brothers from other places can see our blind spots, challenge our assumptions, point us in helpful directions we might not immediately see. In fact, as I look back over my almost 19 years at Sterling Park, I think one of the insights that most shaped our church life together came from a a guest preacher who was with us about six or seven years ago. And so I love guest preachers. And so this morning, you all have a guest preacher with you, but in a small way, maybe in in a large way, you actually have two guest preachers with you because what I want to do this morning is something a bit different than what I would normally do, normally when invited to preach somewhere. When I come to Winchester Baptist Church, I choose a text and I, I preach it. But this morning, Tim has invited me to talk to you all uh, about what it means to have a relationship, a friendship with God, uh, using the insights of another pastor, uh, a 17th century pastor and theologian named John Owen. Uh, the idea is that Perhaps we can get a fresh perspective by considering God's word together along with a great Christian thinker who is separated from us by a considerable amount of time and space. So my plan for my time this morning is just to introduce some of the biblical ideas that, that John Owen synthesized in a book that's, that's called Communion with God. So has anybody read Communion with God? Just show of hands. I was going to say I didn't have to look at you, Rob. I knew. All right. Yeah. You may you may be surprised to know communion with God started out as a series of sermons preached to students, teenagers at Oxford University in the early 1650s. So it's probably the most difficult book I've ever read, and it was 17th century youth ministry. Okay. This is this is how they rolled. But my goal, as much as I love that book, as much as that book has helped me, I don't really want to talk about the book. Uh, Instead, my goal is to think together a little bit about the, the, the book's subject. What the scriptures describe as our communion, or our, our fellowship, or as we would probably say, our friendship with God. I think Owen can serve as a, a steady hand at the wheel. So I'm going to try and give you some quotes from Owen as we go, but I'm going to roughly follow the, the order of his thoughts. But my goal for this morning is, is simply to show you the simple idea but I think has a a powerful effect in your life, and that is that the God of the universe, the perfectly holy three-in-one, who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who made you and me and everything that is, that God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have communion, a a friendship with you. So not you in the abstract, not y'all, not as an ideal, not with people in general, but you yourself as you sit here this morning. My hope is that if you have an opportunity to work through that little book that I've written summarizing Owen's ideas, you'll see some practical ways that you can live uh, in light of that glorious truth. And so let's launch in, let's think about this idea of friendship with God. It's interesting how friendship can make us feel important. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you wind up with someone or connected to someone, and it makes you feel kind of important. I I was walking through uh, a town. There was a big Christian conference in town, and I was walking, uh, just happened to be walking with a very, very famous pastor. You all would probably know his name. He's very Christian famous, okay? And so we're walking, and we can't go half a block without like 30 people stopping him to talk. And so, and so my experience is basically standing there watching this person talk to lots of people. And so finally somebody sort of has pity on me and they come over and they say, um, so who are you? And so I tell them my name. And they say, no, like, like who are you that you're walking with this person, right? Like, like wh- why do you matter? You know, what, what's your point, right? And, uh, and, and, I, and I felt a little bit of like, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of somebody. I'm with this guy, right? Now... Now, this guy doesn't even really know me, and, and he's famous, but he's, he's Christian famous, right? So he's not actually famous. It's not like people, you know, uh, around the world know who he is. It's not like he's Dwayne the Rock Johnson or something like that. <laughs> Last summer, a friend lumped me in. So I have a friend at church who has a friend, a guy I know a little bit, I've met him a couple times, who is really good friends with Paul Goldschmidt. Okay, does anybody know who Paul Goldschmidt is? Show of hands. No, no. Okay. Baseball. Okay, we got to follow baseball around here. Okay, he is the MVP uh, of the National League for the St. Louis Cardinals, All right, and a, a, a brother in the Lord. So the Cardinals are in town. They're at Nats Park. Uh, a friend of a friend is friends with Paul Goldschmidt, and so he gets us down on the field, right, for batting practice. And so we're, we're there. We're watching batting practice, uh, and Paul Goldschmidt comes over, right, because we're with his friend. And so he starts talking to us, and he introduces himself. He's very nice. Right? And, I, and I felt kind of important for a second. And in fact, I knew somebody who happened to be there, and he saw me talking to Go- Paul Goldschmidt, and he was like, how do you know Paul Goldschmidt? And I was like, you know, I just, I'm the kind of guy who knows Paul Goldschmidt." Right? <laughs> right? But again, I, I felt kind of important for a minute, but it's not even like we're friends. And even if we were, like, he's the one who's actually the MVP. I'm not actually anybody. And even again, it's baseball, right? It's not like he's a household name in New Zealand or something like that. But being around someone important, being friends with someone excellent and well-known, it has a sense of making us feel like we're something. So listen, what I want to think about this morning is the fact that if you are in Christ, the Bible says, again, the eternal God, the one who made everything, the one who's more holy and glorious and powerful than you could even begin to imagine or understand, that God wants to be your friend. That God wants you to know him and to be known by him. He delights in your company. Were you listening when we read from Zephaniah earlier? I mean, holy cow. He loves to shower you with good gifts. In fact, he plans to spend eternity blessing you beyond your wildest imagination. And he's gone to the greatest lengths imaginable to make you his friend. And so I want to show you this from the Bible. And I just want to say, look, you come to Winchester Baptist Church because you want a big God theology, right? You want a big sovereign God who rules over the universe, who takes sin seriously, right? You don't want the sort of watered down, namby-pamby, Jesus is my girlfriend kind of Christianity, right? I understand that. And so you might be tempted to think that's not what I want God to be like. That makes God less if he's our friends. But, but I just want to show you from scripture that it actually, it actually is God's glory, right? It's, it's, no, it's no good thing. If you love someone, if you shower your affection on someone who's worthy of it, it actually magnifies God that he loves people like us this much. And so I want you to see this from scripture. Think about the experience of the first human beings in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.8, we see God coming to meet with them in the garden in the cool of the day. That suggests closeness and Intimacy. Now, of course, in context, Adam and Eve, they respond with fear because they've just sinned. But for our purpose, just notice that the Lord seems to have created the first human beings for that kind of direct face-to-face relationship with him, right? God didn't create humanity and then withdraw at a distance, but he pursued them. He came to them. We have certain people in the Old Testament who are said to have been friends with God. So Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, the Lord speaks to his people. He says this, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, right? God God is speaking about Abraham and he calls him my friend. This is what James is talking about and referring to in James chapter 2, verse 23. He says, you see that faith was active along with Abraham's works, And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And James adds, and he was called a friend of God. And of course, it's not just Abraham. In Exodus chapter 33 verse 11, it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So If you ask whether or not God has friends, the answer is yes. Abraham was his friend. He spoke to Moses as a friend. We might think, well, okay, great. If I were Abraham or Moses, then God would want to be my friend. But in the Psalms, King David actually expands the the pool of potential friends uh, of God. It's not just famous people, not just important patriarchs and kings. Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. And of course, we see this principle in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The image of the invisible God. God in flesh, the one who perfectly reveals to us the Father, right? So we know whatever attitude he took towards friendship with human beings, that's going to perfectly reveal uh, the posture of God towards the concept. So when we look at the Gospels, what do we see Jesus doing? Well, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this. He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So what does that mean? Well, at the very least, we know Jesus wasn't a glutton. We know he wasn't a drunkard. But his friendship with tax collectors and sinners was scandalous uh, to the religious people. They thought it was unseemly for someone to eat and drink to actually enjoy himself with sinners. Right, so if you... If you come in thinking the idea that God wants to be my friend, that makes God less, right? That's, that's how the Pharisees viewed it. They thought it made Jesus less, that he loved people the way he did, that he wanted to be friends with people like us. Jesus' desire to be friends with sinful people, it unnerved the religious elites. In John chapter 11, we read the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. In, in chapter 11, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. And a few verses later, in verse 11, it says, after saying these things, he said to them, so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, obviously, the miracle of the the resurrection of Lazarus, that's the point of that passage. But it is a fascinating window into something we don't really think about all that much, and that is Jesus had friends, Right, it's not just the disciples, but it seems that they were kind of random people that he enjoyed, that, that he liked. He, it says, loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He, he calls Lazarus his friend. And of course, a bit later in John, we read earlier in our service, Jesus calls his disciples his friends. He says, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. So just let that, let that wash over you for a second. God has stooped down. He has condescended to call us into a friendship with him. God intends to have a close and intimate connection with us. Now, at this point, I think Christians generally run into one of two problems. The first is I think we just find it hard to believe. Simply too good to be true. Right, if I, uh, if I left here today and before I got in my car, before I started it, I, I opened my phone and I see I have a voicemail and I pick it up and it's LeBron James. Right, and he's inviting me over to his house. You know, get on a car. I got a private jet for you at Dulles. Coming out to L.A., Let's, let's shoot hoops, right? I want you to take a dip in the pool. It's snowing in Winchester. Come on out here. It's nice and warm, right? If I had that voicemail, I would assume that's one of my buddies playing a prank on me, right? Uh, there's nothing special about me that, that, that I would get an invitation like that, right? I'm not the kind of person who sips drinks poolside with famous people, right? I think in an even greater way, Christians might struggle to imagine that God would want to be friends with someone like us. You've been given faith to believe that he has saved us from our sins. He's provided us with eternal life in Christ. And honestly, that's far more than we have any right to expect. But the idea that he actually wants even more for us, that he wants a close relationship with us, that, that all seems like a bit much, doesn't it? It seems like it's more likely that he'd be willing to, to tolerate us. The second difficulty that christians run into is that it's hard to know what that means practically speaking to have a friendship with god right when we become followers of christ someone usually gives us some sense of what to do next so go to church avoid sin pray read your bible right that's a really good plan definitely follow that plan but the question is what does any of that have to do with being god's friend what does it even mean to have a relationship with God? Is it some kind of spiritual feeling? Is it a, an emotional experience when I'm singing in church? Is it, is it some kind of special insight into God and his ways? And so I think a lot of Christians live with some sense like we're missing out. Like there's some, there's some key out there that would give us spiritual insight that would make us feel closer to God. But the great news is that there's nothing magical. There's no secret. There's no special higher knowledge that you need. In fact, in his word, God's told us that he wants us to know him as a friend. And so what does that look like? Well, unpack it. Think about friendship. Friendships form when two people value each other and they care about each other and they want to spend time together. All right, so I have a, I have a very good friend. Uh, we both are busy Uh, We live in different places, we've got a lot going on, so we don't get to see each other very often. And so what we've settled on in our kind of late 40s is that we're gonna try and cram a whole year of friendship into one day, right, one glorious day. So we, every year, get up early, we meet at an Ikea off of uh, 495 in College Park, right? We meet in the underground parking lot like like it's a Watergate movie, right? So we're in this underground garage, we meet and we drive to Philadelphia because Philadelphia is the best, right? <laughs> we get there early in the morning, we have breakfast, we start the conversation, we spend all day together, then we drive home really late at night. And so in that time, we try to blitz through everything that comprises a friendship. We catch up. How's the family doing? We check in on sort of long-standing personal issues, the kind of things your only, only your really good friends know about, right? We talk about work, we swap advice on difficult situations. We have a lot of fun. We laugh. We goof around. We tell stories that we've told a million times. Right? We enjoy each other's com- company. Right? That's, that's what a friendship is. It's two people giving of themselves, caring about one another, and enjoying one another. Right? If only one person in a relationship cares, if only one person in a relationship wants to spend time with the other person, right, you don't really have a friendship. You, you've got an awkward, uncomfortable situation. Right? If you've ever been in a situation like that where you cared more about the other person than they care about you, you know how painful that can be. Right? Friendship, it's a two-way street. Otherwise, it's not really a friendship. And that raises a problem for us when we think about our friendship with God because naturally, we're not his friends. right? We actually aren't born loving God. We don't naturally love his ways. On our own, we don't wake up every morning thinking about him and wanting him and knowing him and desiring to please him and spend time with him. That's not the sort of factory setting that we all come with. Instead, our natural instinct is to go about our lives thinking about ourselves. We focus on the things we have, on the things we want to have. We mistreat other people. We lie. We, we squander the talents and opportunities that God's given us. We might talk to God, but it's, it's kind of like, hey, I need something, right? So uh, I'll check in. Uh, I'll throw up a prayer from time to time when I, when I feel like I'm at my outer limits, right? We take the things God's given to us. We use them uh, to make other things that are more important in our lives than, than he is, Right? That's true of all of us. And so as a result, the Bible says that human beings are not actually naturally God's friends at all. Naturally we are God's enemies, according to Romans 5.10. Uh, Ephesians 2.1 says, spiritually speaking, we're dead. Romans 1.30 says we're haters of God. Ephesians 2.3 says we are children of wrath. Right? We are on our own, about as far away from friendship with God as we could possibly be. And so we have to ask the question, how do people like us? become friends with someone like him, right? How how do we have that that natural back and forth, that give and take, that care and be cared for relationship, right? We have offended him. We have rejected him. We've made ourselves his opponents, right? We we don't have any opportunity to sit down over a leisurely lunch and chat with God, right? How could we be his friend even even if we wanted to be? And I think the answer is clear, and that is we can't. It's impossible for, for people like you and me to, to have a good relationship, to have a friendship with God, right? Criminals don't enjoy the company of police officers. Employees who are embezzling don't look forward to a long, leisurely dinner with the boss, right? Friendship with God is utterly impossible unless God himself makes it happen. He has to act. He has to do something to mend our relationship. All of the cards are in his hand because he's the judge and we are the condemned. He's the king and we are the traitors. He's the faithful spouse. We're the cheaters. If God doesn't break through our rebellion, our hatred, our, our natural antipathy towards him and restore us to him, then we're lost. But the good news, literally the good news is that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's exactly what God has done for us, right? In his great love for people like you and me, God the Father sent his son to become a man and to to offer up his life on the cross as a sacrifice for us, as a, a substitute for us. Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death, everything that keeps us from having a good relationship with God. And when the risen Christ ascended into heaven, he sent God the Holy Spirit to give us new spiritual lives, to comfort us, to help us. And so God has done everything necessary for us to be his friends. Jesus has removed the sin and guilt of anyone who will put their trust in him. And now we are welcomed in we are spiritually united to Jesus. What he has is now ours. Jesus is holy, and so we're holy in God's sight. Jesus is pleasing to the Father, and so we are pleasing as well. And here's the thing I think you have to understand if you want to enjoy a friendship with God. Right? You have to understand this, or, or everything else is going to get off track. Right? It's, like, it's like buttoning your shirt in the morning. You get that first button wrong, it's not coming back right? But you get the first button right, you're probably in good shape. Here's the first button you have to get right. You didn't do anything to make yourself God's friend. And so you can't mess this up. You can't do anything to break that relationship. If you have put your trust in Christ, you are spiritually connected to him. Your status before God doesn't depend on your work, your obedience, your performance. It depends on Jesus. And he did everything perfectly in order to make you God's friend. As Paul says at the end of Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Once God has made you his friend through his son, you can never be his enemy again. Right again, you have to be clear on that or else everything else is going to go off track. Our status as God's friends has nothing to do with anything good or bad that we do. It comes as a gift. Not because you've obeyed, but because Jesus obeyed, right? Our friendship with God was his idea. He paid the price that needed to be paid. We contribute nothing to the process. We simply receive that new identity as a gift through faith in Christ. And because that's true, when we think about friendship with God, or to use John Owen's word, communion with God, we're talking about something different than that new status that we have in Christ. So when we talk about our communion with God or our friendship with God, we are not talking about our status before God. Instead, we're talking about our daily awareness of that status. Our experience of that status. We might say our enjoyment of that new status. And that's where we come in. That's where we actually do have a role to play. There's work for us to do. Our union with God is a gift that we're given. Our communion with God Is like any other relationship. It is an active two way thing. Here's how Owen explained what it means to have this kind of back and forth relationship with God. He said this He said, Our communion then with God consists in his communication of himself unto us, with our return unto him of that which he requires and accepts, flowing from that union which in Jesus Christ we have with him. Okay, so that might sound like a, like a brain full there. But Owen's saying this. Our communion with God flows from our union with Jesus Christ. We have friendship with God because he's made us his friends in Jesus. Right, does that make sense? Because we're in Jesus, because his Holy Spirit lives in us, we now have a lot in common with God. Like any friendship, we love the same things that our friend loves. We delight in the things that please him. We have got a lot to talk about. This communion is a two-way street. In Owen's word, God communicates of himself unto us. So like a friend, he talks to us. He reveals himself to us. He tells us what he's thinking. He shows us what pleases him and what makes him tick. And like any good friend... Christians, Owen says, are able to return something to him. He has given us some specific ways that we can communicate our friendship back to him. Things like prayer, love, delight, obedience, participating in the Lord's Supper together. Owen calls them uh, that which he requires and accepts. Right? God requires it of us and he's promised to accept it from us. Our role in the friendship is to pursue intimacy with God, knowledge of God, love for God through those means, right? This is good news. He hasn't left us to guess. He hasn't been like, all right, so I'm going to be a perfect friend to you and you who can't even balance your checkbook, good luck figuring out how to be my friend. No, no, God's told us. He wants us to love him. He wants us to, to pray to him to bring our requests to him, to unburden our hearts, to cast our anxieties on him. He wants us to gather together, to hear his word, to read his word, to take the Lord's Supper together. And when we do those things, we, we're pursuing greater intimacy with God. We're hearing from him. Maybe you heard again, Zephaniah being read right at the beginning of this service. That's God speaking to you about his love through his word. And hopefully your heart, if you're in Christ, was moved. You love me like that? You've been so gracious to someone you exult over me with loud shouts. God, I love you too. I, I delight to be in your presence. I'm, I'm so grateful. I love you so much. That's, that's friendship. That's, that's communion with God. That's enjoying the experience of your union with God. That's delighting in all that he's done for you. I think in order for us to have genuine friendship with God, we, we need to hold two truths in tension. The first is that God is incredibly holy and powerful. So Hebrews 12, 29 says he's a consuming fire. The Psalms tell us that he's a glorious king, that, he's, that God is so mighty, so beautiful, you would never dream of getting anywhere close to him. right? In fact, when people in the Bible do get near to God, they tend to freak out right? Think about the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Think about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Think about poor Peter in Luke chapter 5 after the miraculous catch of fish. People get some sort of proximity to God and they come undone, right? You'd never dare approach someone like God in friendship unless you were 100% positive that he wants you to. You'd be far too terrified to come close to anyone so pure and mighty unless you were confident that you're going to be greeted with a smile that he delights in you. And the amazing discovery of the gospel, the good news that, frankly, you and I would never dare to believe if God didn't say it, is that when we draw near to God in Christ, we find not anger at our sin, not disappointment with our failures, but sympathy, mercy, and grace to help in our time of need. Praise the Lord. That's the second truth we hold together, right? Again, think for a second about what it's like to sit down and spend time with a good friend, right? So Tim and I, we go to lunch from time to time. We meet for barbecue in Purcellville. I don't sit there with Tim constantly worried about what we're going to talk about, about whether I might accidentally offend him by saying the wrong thing the wrong way, Right, I'm not worried that Tim's going to reject me if, I, if he finds out about some of my weaknesses and fears and failures. Right, in fact, I, I feel like I can share those things with Tim because I'm confident that he loves me, that he'll actually help me bear those burdens. Right, I don't have any concern that he's secretly harboring a grudge against me or, or even just merely tolerating me. Right, when you have friendship with someone, there's ease, there's comfort, there's, there's a boldness, Right? Both parties know that the other one loves them. Right? I hope you have at least one friend like that in your life. Right? Those friendships that we have with other people, they're, they're a small taste. They're meant to give us, to, to whet our appetite for what it's like to have a relationship with God. Right? God gives us those friendships, so we'll have some pale experience of what it's like to have a perfect friend like him. Right? A one-sided relationship, again, it's not much of a friendship. We might be tempted to think that people like us could never be loved by a holy God. But perhaps we could say the very first step towards enjoying God's friendship is to realize that he really does truly want to have this kind of relationship with you. Okay, so one more thing I want to point out before I wrap up this morning. That is, as we think about friendship with God, we want to make sure that we're pursuing a relationship with the God of the Bible, the true God, the one who actually really exists. And that means that our friendship with God, our communion with him, is communion with the triune God. The Bible teaches us that the one true God exists eternally in three fully divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And since that's the case... Any real relationship with God has to be carried on directly and distinctly with each of those three persons. So Christians can and must have direct fellowship with God the Father, direct fellowship with God the Son and with God the Spirit. You you can't be friends with someone if you don't know them, and to know God is to know him as three in one. You can't accurately conceive of God without thinking of all three persons. And to think about the three persons inevitably brings you back to the unity of God. One of the church fathers said this. He said, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I'm carried back to the one. If you think about it, you couldn't be friends with God. If he weren't the triune God that he is, because God is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit, that means that relationships of love, right? Community, we might even say friendship, is right at the heart of who God is, right? Whoever and whatever God is, he has to be before the creation of the world, right? Uh, it's not like God became something. He became loving. He became community at the creation of the world. God has always been. And so there's no way that a a God who would merely a unity, right? Like think about the the Muslim conception of Allah, right? There's no way that, that that God, if he existed, could be loving. There's no one for him to love in eternity past, There's no way that that God could eternally be in community. It's not clear how he could create community and live in it. But the glory of the one true God who created all things is that he exists in eternal relationships of love. Because God is three in one, love is at the foundation of our world. And so when we look at the Bible, what we see is that we're meant to have a friendship with each person of the Trinity, Right, remember what we said a moment ago, the com- communion with God consists of his communication of himself to us and our response to him through the means that he's established. Right, just like human friendships depend on our, our willingness to let ourselves be known, so our relationship with God depends on his willingness to let us know what he's like, what pleases him, what he's doing in the world. And when we turn to scripture, what we see is that each person of the Trinity communicates directly with us in just that way. So to demonstrate this, John Owen points us to John chapter 6. So in John 6, verses 44 to 46, we read that Jesus said this. John six forty-four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus... refers to a promise in the prophets that we will all be taught by God. And this idea of being taught by God is right at the heart of what it means to have a friendship with him. When Jesus promises us that we will be taught by God, he's promising that God will communicate himself to us, right? He will tell us about himself in ways that bring us into a loving relationship with him. God teaches us what we need to know about him in order to be his friend, and it's significant that each person of the Trinity is involved in that process, in fulfilling that promise, teaching God's people. So there in John 6, 45, Jesus speaks of his people as those who have learned from the Father, right? He says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has learned from the Father, someone to whom the Father has revealed himself, communicated himself. And in return, God the Father tells us that we need to listen to his son. Right? So Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Right? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Right? The son is the one who teaches us to know God. Throughout his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus taught his followers to know him and know his ways. John 15, 15 again. No longer do I call you servants. Well, Why aren't they servants anymore? He says the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. The servant is someone to whom the master has not revealed himself, communicated himself in friendship. It's a a relationship of employment, right? The the master doesn't unburden his heart to his servant. Jesus says, that's not our relationship. I have called you friends. Why? Why? Why are they friends now? All that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And Jesus has revealed himself he has communicated himself uh, to them and in the same way the holy spirit reveals instructs and enlightens the minds of believers so that we can know god john 14:26 jesus says this the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i've said to you we are we are taught by god the father god the son and god the holy spirit all three persons of the Trinity communicate themselves to us. And the goal of this is that we would know God, that we would be in a close relationship with him. My friends, there's a, there's a huge difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. Right, so I'm a child of the 80s. I've already revealed to you that I'm a baseball nerd. My hero growing up was Don Mattingly, first baseman for the New York Yankees. And I know a lot about him off the top of my head. So without looking up on the internet, I could tell you his birthday is April 20th, his middle name's Arthur, his first wife's name is Kim, right? And he was born in Evanston, Illinois. I don't actually know Don Mattingly, though. I don't actually know much about his personality. I don't know what he likes to do on a Friday night. I don't know what he's like at home. I don't know what makes him happy. He doesn't call me and tell me about his plans, He doesn't confide his feelings uh, to me. I know a lot about him, but I can't say I actually know him. Well, knowing God as 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 a friend is far more complex than knowing any human being. And God is far more exalted than any human being we might admire. And so we are completely dependent on him to reveal himself to us. He has to teach us. He has to be willing to teach us what he's like. Otherwise, we would only ever know him at a great distance, right? Like Romans 1 talks about. But in his love for us, God has stooped down to reveal himself, to communicate himself, to teach us about him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so we can really know him. We'll never know everything there is to know about God. He's too great. We're too finite. But we can know him truly because God the Father teaches us by sending God the Son, by giving us the Bible, by illuminating our understanding through the work of his Holy Spirit uh, for every believer. Through those means, God doesn't merely teach us information about, our, about himself, but he causes us to know him as a friend. One of the great joys of the Christian life is reading God's word or, or hearing it preached and have this clear, growing sense that the God of the universe, the one who holds everything in his hands, is speaking directly to you. I hope that if you're in Christ, you've had that experience. Uh, of hearing God's word preached or reading the Bible and, and having this sense that God is speaking directly to you as his friend. Maybe you got some sense of that when Sipa was preaching to you last Sunday, that God was, was assuring you through his word of his love and his grace towards you. But as we said, friendship is a two-way street, and so we have something to do with God's loving communication of himself. Owen says this about our part in having a relationship with God. He says, the way and means then on the part of the saints whereby in Christ they enjoy communion with God. So h- how do the saints enjoy communion with God? Are all the, the spiritual and holy actings and outgoings of their souls in those graces and by those ways wherein both the moral and instituted worship of God consists. Okay. What's he talking about? Faith. Love. Love. Trust, joy, etc., are the natural and moral worship of God, whereby those in whom they are have communion with Him. God's telling you He loves you. He sent His Son. He's given you His Spirit. He's speaking to you through His Word. You respond with faith, love, trust, joy. If Owen's correct, I think he is because I think he's reflecting the Bible's teaching. And this is really good news for us. Again, we're not left to guess what it means to have a friendship with God. If you're a Christian, you don't have to wait around for some profound spiritual experience to suddenly take over your life. You don't need to be a monk. You don't need a guru. You don't need someone with deep, special insight into the mysteries of the world. God knows that we wouldn't have communion with him. Someone as awesome and holy and profound and powerful as him. And so he's established and promises to bless certain people ways and means, to use Owen's phrase, to worship him and to communicate our friendship back to him. Faith, love, trust, joy. Those are things that we can experience in our normal day-to-day life. So Christian, when you trust God in a difficult situation, when you believe what his word says, when you feel love for him and joy in your salvation, that's communion with God. That's you acting like God's friend. That's what Owen calls natural worship. There's also instituted worship, things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, songs of praise and prayer, the preaching of God's word. Those are things that God calls Winchester Baptist Church to come together and do together as his friends That's really what the little book that I wrote that hopefully some of you will read is about. How it is that you carry out that day-to-day, week-to-week, year-by-year, friendship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not with any new insights or tricks, but the means that he's established. And so for now, let's be content with the big picture, that you can have this kind of communion, this kind of direct friendship with each person of the Trinity. If you are in Christ, you are loved by God the Father, by God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each one of those persons has ways of communicating love and grace to you. And in response, you have the wonderful privilege of loving and praising and praying to, believing and trusting and rejoicing directly in all three persons. Brothers What brothers and sisters, what good news that God would want to be friends with people like us. And so as you go out into the world this week, as you work, as you rest, as you rejoice, as you sorrow... Let this reality be the the foundation of your life. God is your friend. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we delight in your great love for us. We magnify you. You You are even greater in our eyes because you would stoop to love those as unlovely and unworthy as us. We take you at your word, Heavenly Father, that you love us as you do, and we rejoice and we delight. Lord Jesus, we we thank you and we praise you for your grace towards us. We thank you for the way that you laid down your life for your friends. You stood in our place. You took what we deserve uh, so that we might know friendship with God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us to be good and faithful friends, that you would comfort us in our temptations and trials and suffering. We pray, Spirit, that you would help us to rejoice and to delight in in all that we have in Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.